here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You're listening to Getting to the Point, the business reinvention podcast from Big Small. In this series, we hear inspiring stories from those who've cut through complexity and confusion to redefine their brands and businesses. Today, Matt is talking to Eli Habib, founder of the music streaming platform Angrami. Founded in Lebanon in 2012, Angrami has grown to become the largest streaming platform in the Middle East. Welcome, Eli, and thanks for talking to us today. I'd like to start on the 4th of February 2022, when you were ringing that Nasdaq bell to become the first Arab tech company to be listed. How did that feel? <laughs> Hi, Matt. First, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, honestly, I mean, I, when I recall that instant, it was like pretty much all goosebumps, right? Uh, uh, it feels like a culmination of a lot of work, a lot of hard nights, a lot of sweat, a lot of dreams that didn't work at certain point in times and hopes that eventually turned to something that was real, right? We were at a critical moment of our life and we felt that, you know, we're on the world stage when we were ringing the bell in the NASDAQ and uh, in Times Square sounded you know too awesome to be true but we're kind of thankful that all of the work all of the effort that the team has been putting over time got rewarded fantastic and and was the whole experience how you'd imagined it you know i've never run the rung the nasdaq bell so what 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 happens is it very do you have to prepare this for months in advance is it all very carefully choreographed or do they just march you in tell us a little bit about actual the experience of that day yeah, interesting. I mean, honestly, I had never thought about it because, you know, we were working through to finalize the IPO. And when we got the the bell ringing process and we didn't even go through the details, but it turned out to be a very well orchestrated thing. And uh, funny enough, you know, and we're supposed to have tryouts, but CNBC was recording earlier on so we couldn't do the tryouts and then you know our speech turned out to be slightly longer than expected because the bell has to ring at 9 30 a.m irrespective of how long your speech is <laughs> so we, we didn't realize that so it turned out to be pretty cool and all in all and you know quite a, an experience but yeah it's like it's choreographed to the to the second you can't miss the deadline because you know the market has to start whatever happens yes you can't the, the market's not going to pause for the uh, speech to finish so did, did that mean that you did you get cut off or you had to extend your speech which way around was it i actually it's like uh, in the final one that was released nothing appears wrong right so it's continuous all 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 goes well but actually in the i had finished my part and eddie's part was next in the midst of it it's they suddenly hurried up and, you know, got us to ring the bell and he he just stopped, right? <laughs> and then eventually they recorded the other part. But it was kind of fun. It came across very well on the video. Yeah, it was super weird at the time, but eventually it, it came across pretty good. So let's go back then to the to the start. That was the, I suppose, not, not the end, but the end of that uh, first um, chapter, I suppose. If we go back to 2012, when you founded the business together with Eddie, 
Can you remember a moment where you first started talking about doing this? Is that was there a uh, a meal in a restaurant where you suddenly sketched this out on a napkin, or how did it how did it come about? Where where did that spark come from? Yeah, it's like yeah. Clearly, I remember I remember the timeline. Most importantly, when we started talking about the project, you know, me and Eddie have been working together since two thousand. I had recruited him for a different business, and we were in that particular business like many years later, around 2010, 11, actually. And we just happened to be on a ski trip uh, in Lebanon, uh, up into the mountains. And Eddie had his iPod, but he had forgotten to sync it. So he had stale music on the iPod. And, you know, iPods were like, you had to download music on the, on the Mac and then sync it and all of that process. Let alone in the Middle East, you had to go to pirate sites, download the music, and then sync it. Because iTunes was not available in the region. So we actually couldn't, you know, we could buy an iPod, but we could not buy the music. And he started complaining how it's a complicated process and there has to be something better for music. And we started simply talking about it during that trip. And, you know, we... I actually, you know, I'm the engineer and the product person who was like intrigued by that particular thing. How can we actually get music onto something very fast and all of it? And remember at the time, mobile wasn't exactly, you know, it was just starting. When we started talking about Angami 2011, I think the iPhone uh, 3GS, the one that has apps, had launched in in that same year so or, or just six months before i mean it was still fringes it was like you wouldn't think about mobile so we started thinking about it i'm from the engineering perspective and eddie from whether we can do a you know business out of this and what would be the terms to work with labels and and i remember that at that time we started having a lot of meetings in starbucks discussing you know the, our idea it wasn't supposed to be called angami uh it was not supposed to be mobile app so we started the the, the idea first on on a web product who would actually connect people through music by having different type of rooms whereby people will meet other people and at the same time would be listening to music that way would replicate the experience of how we actually got close to music which is by going to places that play certain type of music and we get to learn right from others, you know, maybe a jazz bar or other bars whereby they would play certain type of music. So you would get educated and would meet people around that. That's how started the idea. Uh, eventually, you know, it's graduated whereby we, we, we figured out that it made sense, the business would work. We started having discussions with labels and started building the, the prototype of the web app. And during doing that, I thought that, you know, mobile made much more sense on monetization. It was not starting. I was super pumped by the idea that I could build an app on mobile simply because I knew nothing about mobile. And it was exciting because it's not something that I know about. And yeah, well, the rest is almost history. That, that's interesting. So, so what made you? What gave you the confidence you could do that then? If you didn't know anything about mobile, to to say, well, I'm going to make my business 
<laughs> something yeah. I don't know about. Yeah, that's the type of, and you know, engineers are crazy people or, 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 or whatever. I mean, I, I like my engineers to come as crazy flavored. Uh, so I, I was, since, you know, I was young, uh, I was extremely curious into how things work, right? Whether it's a small operated car or a TV, I wanted to take them out, uh, you know, off and, you know, understand how they're made and then put them back. I mean, half of the times it wouldn't be put back properly, but, you know, I would have learned eventually. You know, 10 years earlier, I had actually, I was working in offline software because, you know, internet wasn't, didn't, hadn't started. And when the internet started, you know, coming up and, you know, I heard about e-commerce and all of that, you know, I, I quit my previous company to start, uh, you know, an online portal. And because, you know, that was super exciting. The internet was interesting. I knew nothing about internet. Then eventually I digged into SMS and MS gateways and all of that because I knew nothing about about that. It was interesting because it was, you know, everyone was interested in those SMS ringtones and all of that. So it's the same thing. It's a trend for me. Anything that I don't know doesn't stop me. But, you know, as an engineer, you're curious, you want to learn and you figure out what is this because you have to learn. And it's if you don't learn, you you you. You just stop growing. And for me, it's like, that's what I define who I am. I mean, it's like I need to make sure that I keep learning and growing. And, you know, I think it's Charlie Munger said something close to this one. I think a life properly lived is just learn, learn, learn all the time. So, I mean, learn, learn, learn. Then actually, you know, try to do something with your learning. And what better then, you know, if you want to learn something, try to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Great. This, the spirit to, uh, to keeping young, I think, to try and try and keep learning things. And I know that because you were learning something new and it was quite new for the region, you had to do quite a lot of education, I think, in the early days for uh, people who perhaps hadn't seen the vision. So the payment gateways, the artists, the users, even the users. Could you just talk to us a little bit about, about that process? You know, we did a lot of things in Angami that we didn't sign up for. I mean, we, we weren't aware that we were signing up for uh, because I thought at the time, you know, we're going to we're going to release a product that was going to basically give millions of songs for a user. Just, you know, you can tap into million. I mean, at the time we had a motto, which is something close. I don't remember exactly, but five million songs in your pocket or, or close to that. And for me as a geek, as an engineer, it made sense because, wow, we're going to give that many songs in, in just one product, but just turned out to be a geeky, you know, a geeky motto. It's not something that people connect because no one wants five million songs or no one would actually understand how will we give 5 million songs back in the days? Today, it's close to 72 million. But later we understood it's nobody needed 5 million or 72 million. They need just the right songs. So we had to explain. The first thing that was very interesting is like when we started talking to labels to tell them about what we were building and to make sure that they would sign up for, for our system and for our platform and you could sign up with them, you know, contracts that will allow us to 
have legally the music, uh, the first thing was like labels in the region did not understand what was streaming. I mean, w- what we were building and, you know, they were like t- interested to sign up onto contracts because we were promising them money ahead of time and every time someone listens to, because this, those were the rules. Uh, but for them, it was so new and so unreal that um, from the Middle East comes a service that is actually promising to pay upfront to have, you know, streaming. We we literally had to explain what we were doing with it, right? Because and what was streaming to the labels first, then eventually to the artist, because earlier on we understood that they were quite an important part of our flywheel. Artists are influencers. They talk to their fans. They can give, bring us traffic. Uh, but they did not understand why they want to do that and what's in it for them. Because clearly at that time, nobody knew the whole point of streaming and why would one use it. And then when we started talking to users and started telling them uh, about, you know, payment, I mean, they should pay to, you know, access everything, all the premium functionalities. It was really a mess at the time because nobody understood why they should pay. Uh, And then if they understood, they didn't know how they could pay. And the third biggest problem was like, they thought they paid last month. So how come we're asking them to pay again next month? That was horrific. They thought we were clearly scammers because, you know, I paid for my 100 song and I downloaded them. How come you want me to pay another time for the same 100 songs? So all of that required us to step up and not be just engineers or, you know, Eddie in Eddie's case, he's a lawyer and musician, but we had to actually become communicators and most importantly, storytellers. Because we had to tell a story on why, how, what we're doing and, you know, why we should partake in our platform. And I think that's the biggest lesson for me because I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm much better being, you know, writing code or, or working across an architecture than talking to people. But, you know, I, I realize that if I don't become a storyteller, that don't grow up to be a storyteller in Amrami, I will never have, you know, the right team to motivate them to work on on a vision uh, and neither the right customers nor the right partners nor nor anyone else. So that was one of the biggest lessons to us. And was there a point where you felt things took off or was it you signed a particular artist or you did a particular deal with a mobile company to get distribution or where the business really accelerated and you thought, yeah, this is really going to go big? I think we had a f- multiple points, but the earlier one that I remember comes up to setting the right expectation. And generally speaking, entrepreneurs are optimists and they you, you usually put like big blind numbers and, you know, because you want to show that you, you're going to the moon, even if you're actually not sure you're going to get to the skyscraper. But we had put numbers like, we're gonna get 3,000, uh, sorry, 330,000 active users by the end of the first year because you know we didn't have a good model. We did not know what what's gonna grow in mobile. Mobile was growing quite significantly, but we did not expect the mobile growth to be as fast as it ended up being, right? Because when we launched in 2012, it's not like 
the penetration was still low. We expected some penetration, some growth, but not as much as we ended up with. So we expected 30,000 in the first year. After three months, we hit a million users. So our, you know, our entire model and expectation and, you know, runway were like all, uh, you know, put to question. It was a problem, but it was a great problem to be in. Uh, so we, we realized that, you know, we're going to be growing much faster than expected. And we, our infrastructure was not going to take it. And we did not have enough people to work with us. So that was one of the original light bulbs that I, I will obviously never forget. Fantastic. Yeah, a million active users. That's quite a, quite a milestone. And you were talking about being a, a, a storyteller. Um, and I remember when, when we spoke before that you, you said that because you're an engineering-led company, you've often invented amazing things, but then not told people about them. So maybe the storytelling is something you've learned along the way. And it'd be great to just hear a little bit about some of those inventions and the way that your engineers have created things, often ahead of some of the competitors, but then you perhaps haven't spoken about them and people haven't known they're there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I multiple times repeated, we were geeks, we were early adopters. We understood so many different apps and the behavior, and we understood icons but we also wanted to have good user experience. And we thought putting a tooltip on an icon on a mobile would be an overkill. It would be too complicated to show a tooltip because you cannot dismiss it with your mouse. And we thought that not all icons needed to be explained. Now that is really true and correct sentence in 2022 or 2020. In 2012, it wasn't exactly the case. People did not particularly understand all of the icons because a lot of the users we found out later on had downloaded Angami as one of the first mobile apps. So they did not have context. And we had an icon, which was a share button. And share was clearly very, very important. It was a very basic functionality. I want to talk about something more elaborate that at that point in time, just a pure share we realized that we were getting good traffic from share and people who were sharing on Twitter or WhatsApp or Facebook were getting us good users and, you know, type of virality, which we were thankful about. But a smaller percent, small percentage of users were actually using the share. And we were like, I mean, flabbergasted, why not more people? Because, you know, if we had more people sharing, it would be amazing. Then we figured out that people did not actually understand that this icon was actually shared. We never communicated it. And what we did to prove it, we simply removed the icon and we wrote an ugly a version, which was like literally the word share instead of the share icon. Just plain obvious and not too pretty UX-wise. It's actually ugly UX-wise, but we actually saw the growth of the traffic back afterwards because people saw the share and they were sharing their songs and the artist was actually sharing with the fans and all of that and it increased our traffic significantly based on something very little. But we honestly did not understand the lesson at the time. So we kept creating no more functionalities and we never communicated them properly in hindsight, it's all connected, the share, the explanation and, you know, communication. But we were very much focused on what we were building. 
And we're happy that we were sharing new functionalities that the segment was using, but we were not, you know, focused on, you know, I need to increase that segment like I did at the share time. So eventually with time, we created functionalities such, such as stories for music where people would listen, the, uh, where, you know, friends would see what other friends are listening to over the past 24 hours, like a, you know, like a Snapchat story, because we actually launched our stories before Instagram even. Uh, which was like a while ago. And then we eventually launched chat, which allowed people to chat with each other. Going back to our original idea, which is connecting people through music, we, we made a lot of interesting nuggets while doing that. For instance, if you actually try to chat with someone, would give you a nice breaker, which is a song that you like and they might like, or they already like, but something that both would connect to, but we just failed to, to tell people about those. Uh, people would discover it, and we noticed that people who were using our functionalities were, you know, were retained significantly more, but we were not actually trying to push for everyone to use it. Uh, for instance, till that happened, till one time we had a feature called Friends Mixtape, which basically we had built that allows you to define that we want to create music uh, for uh, multiple friends. So instead of you picking artists to create music, a playlist from, you would pick people, your friends, and it would generate music that all of you would like. So we had created that functionality roughly two years before that time when, by, when we figured out that it's a Valentine, maybe you could actually create a mixtape for, for a friend or for someone that you care about, and it would create a, a, a mixtape for both of you that you both enjoy. So we did a campaign towards that particular functionality, which is taking just a subset instead of you picking multiple friends, just pick, you know, one individual, maybe your your loved one or, or someone that you're interested in and send a mixtape type of like used to send a mixtape to your girlfriend back in the days, which was the cassette time at the time. And we did that campaign on Valentine maybe three years ago. And, you know, it took a lot of success and people were like so happy about that functionality and how they, you can create a mixtape for someone. And we then figured out, I mean, we had that functionality years ago. How come now people are raving about it? And we just realized that we never communicated. So, I love the story about changing the icon to the word share and seeing the results. Great example yeah, exactly. of clarity beating uh, overly designed uh, UX. Definitely. I mean, since uh, since then, we realized that, you know, uh, having something like obvious is much more important than having something that's nice, right? If you had to pick between obvious and nice, just pick obvious. You're listening to Getting to the Point, the business reinvention podcast from Big Small. So let's talk a bit about storytelling and, and the the repositioning, I suppose, of um, Angrami ahead of the NASDAQ float. And perhaps, first of all, just, just talk to us about why you decided you wanted to do that ahead of the, 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 yeah, the big launch on the, on the world stage. Yeah, indeed. You know, everyone in Angrami is close to, close to our brand. I mean, our team is close to our brand, loves the brand. And because, you know, you've been day in, day out, touching it and connecting with it and talking about it. So 
we we had deep connection to the whatever the brand was at the time, but we also had data. And you know, as a leader, one particular thing that I keep trying to tell my team is like, I don't mind changing my mind, right? If you understand that certain data allows you to change your mind when certain facts change, you're supposed to change your mind. So for me, this was quite important because we realized, even though we had rebranded maybe uh, four years earlier, three years earlier, and we were in love with it and we had good feedback, we later on started realizing that some data wasn't actually working properly and some data was actually some insights, not data because data is, is random, insights were actually providing us an experience that our Gen Z, the Gen Z were not exactly connected with our brand for a few basic reasons, which we couldn't understand. The logo was purple. It was a pur distinctive purple, which we love because it's distinctive and because it shines on your mobile phone, on your mobile home screen. So you would not miss it. That's why we originally picked it. But purple represented type of a weakness uh, for them. And the love icon, which transformed into the player button, is also very cool. Instead of a triangular uh, play button, it was a heart-shaped play button, uh, which is obviously uh, rotated to the left. But it's clearly a, a play button, but with a heart. Again, purple and the heart simply was for me cool representative but for our users the people who we want to use the app to keep coming back was kind of weak they weren't connecting with it there was an internal debate and you know one particular thing is like eddie my partner even the night before we wanted to release the new branding was still struggling to accept it and was like are you sure you want to release it and maybe let's postpone, let's pause and whatever, because he wasn't convinced because he was very connected with the previous brand. And he couldn't see himself saying that, you know, it's a week uh, or purple is weak or whatever, because he loved it. But the insights were, were saying something else. And I voted for the insights than, you know, than for what I personally would, you know, connected with. And I think we did a good job I mean, obviously, Big Small did a good job with us to do this, but we did a good job in actually making sure to drive through the new brand because you sometimes have to take decisions and understand that you're not building everything for yourself. As a founder, we might have created the product, but want the product to grow and to be used by others. And that's why we need to always make sure that we talk to others with the right words with the right colors, with the right messages. So still communication. Yes, and uh, well, th thank you for that. And I think um, obviously the brand is, is, is more than just the logo, although the logo is obviously a critical part, especially for a, a, an app brand where the, the symbol is on the phone. Um, but we you know we did talk a lot about the fact that this is a brand with Arabic heart and global outlook and we talk a lot about on this podcast about getting to the point. So getting to the real point of the brand, what does the brand stand for? And so this new notion of the world is listening, allowing a new 
generation to share their voices with the world to make some noise you know that was a really exciting place to get to for the brand and the the great thing is for us has been watching how how big you've gone with that um so the launch on the Burj Khalifa for example the signing of Amadiab you know you're really kind of getting behind that notion of the world is listening and doing a lot with it through everything from the moment the app bursts onto the screen and the identity springs into life so um how's it been yeah i mean your team seems to be doing a great job with it but you you tell us how that's started working for you when you look at how we actually were able to take the new brand the new colors the new identity the new messaging the word is listening and the vibrant colors and use them and that is how our brand you know started to connect with people and you know we we we're now launching our big main cell campaign just you know in a, in a few weeks after ramadan because we unfortunately had to launch the brand just just before ramadan which we wanted but it's not the obvious time to launch uh we st- still with that we were able to say the word is listening and to have the Bush khalifa and amr jab and rotana and with many more things coming up thankfully in a few weeks but what i'm very happy with is like now i'm in jeddah in saudi arabia yesterday i had a talk with a company and just randomly people from that company were were telling me you know we love your new logo and you know a few weeks ago no a week ago i was having dinner with with friends and you know friends new friends that i you know i mean people acquaintances that i just met told me you, you your new logo is so better than the previous one and those particular things just reiterate you know in my mind that we did a good thing and we're using it the team has, has been using the the new direction the colors the 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 tagline in 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 super interesting ways and you know it's simply opening instagram which is one of your outlets your digital outlet just shows how pre new brand and post new brand how the how it's much more vibrant and people would connect with especially the right people that you are seeking for the right audience that you are seeking for is connecting with it so it's been it's been interesting times but only honestly it's just a start there's a lot more coming up soon we'll look forward to seeing it especially the uh, the, the campaign when that comes out as as well so that that's great and what what's next then what are the big priorities for you that you can talk about over the next 18 months to 2 years as you come off the back of the float uh, for us we're growing we're growing up, if you want to say. We're we're growing up from a company who was purely a music distribution company to a media platform. So we're going to be growing into significantly more fields, into music label. We just launched our new label called uh, Vibe Music uh, with collaboration with Sony. We're launching our Angami Lab, which is an offline uh, lounge concept uh, that is unique in terms of we're supposed to be a digital platform but we believe that being physical provides huge advantages by by having you know uh, a touch point whereby people fans uh, or others would discover would discover connect with our brands uh, and with an artist in a relaxed casual environment so the lounge will be launching in in a few months first in Riyadh uh, but then in um, multiple other cities in the Middle East 
that is kind of unheard of for a music platform to do this. But for us, it's just the next step. We'll be launching also events across the Middle East because we want to grow the, the, our artists from discovering new talent to creating music for them, to connecting them with, with audiences in, in a cozy, intimate environment like the lounge, the, uh, our Angami Lab, to events whereby we take the artists across multiple places in the, in the region and introduce ticketing, introduce merchandising, go into Web3, but at the same time, go into audiobooks, go into podcasts and do much more to enable, a, most importantly, a creator generation in the region. Because one very important topic that is very close to me is like, I'm not satisfied whatsoever in us not being a, an active participant in creating of content. So we cannot just carry passive content. We have to actively create and curate the right content. So we actually get people, you know, um, engaged with us as a platform, uh, but at the same time get artists to want to be on the platform. Most importantly, get artists who don't have a mic yet, have not sang or have not written words or, or you know, participate in all of that to, to start doing it. Because we cannot grow in the region if we do not have active participation from the raw material, I mean, the artists, the, the creators that will grow our platform and that will want to step up and, you know, create content. Our region has been very bad in terms of creating content, whether it's on, on, on music, but then again on art or on so many different things. And we want to be actively contributor to that. And that is uh, a massive jump in what we were to what we want to become. And are there any artists that you're, any young artists you, you might want to mention that we can, uh, we can go and listen to, we can download the Grammy app and, and, and listen to from the region? Uh, there's, a, there's an artist in, in Dubai that is a Canadian Lebanese called Danny Aridi, who actually sings English content. So you can actually find him on, you know, multiple, uh, on, on, you know, on Angami, but, but everywhere else because he's, uh, he's signed to Universal that is actually creating unique original content and uh, in English. The point is like what I'm also mostly, fl- uh, very happy of is Egypt. Egypt is a country that is deeply rooted with music and there are multiple artists that are young, all sub 25 art, uh, 25 year old artists that, that are creating unique content and content that will actually cross, uh, you know, cross oceans. I, one of them called Wegs, he's a, he's quite an impressive artist, young artist who keeps up on creating again, your original content and content that he actually contributes to. And those artists, songwriters make a big difference in the region. And they, we have plenty of those. They just don't have their voices heard enough or loud enough. And they need, you know, someone to help them, uh, gr- uh, you know, reach and grow. And this is where we have to step up. And we've never, you know, we never thought that this is part of our original mission uh, but i know right now that we we have a new thing and i'm i can't wait to do more on that particular aspect well that's great because i mean that's that's the whole purpose i suppose of of getting to the point it's about having something at the heart of the the brand and the company that can lead 
acts and and can be directive so you know the idea of the the world is listening helping people to share their voice and make some noise is is exactly what we've been uh, what we've been talking about so let's finish uh, we always ask every guest this question ellie um getting to the point do you think that you've found your point uh, from a personal point of view i um i honestly think that i grew significantly as a person when in angami and that is you know the personal growth that i found while working and helping people uh, reach their the maximum of their potential and grow in angami has been you know my the biggest thing that i'm proud of and i'm talking about people i'm not talking just about the company or the product or anything uh the people are the ones that i'm super attached with and i feel that my journey in angami has been great because uh, as a leader it's not just about driving my vision forward but it's about putting ideas on the table provoking my teams to debate iterate and eventually making it ultimately their idea and empowering them to succeed and when i feel what we've were able to accomplish with the team and understanding that we survived crises multiple of multiple crises and we got we improved because of the crises that we went through is definitely something that i'm extremely grateful for i do believe we need to learn to celebrate more often and you know there's still a lot that i want to get better at but every individual in the team helping become a better person and better leader by actually striving to make them succeed and i think all in all i'm happy to you know be called as a crazy entrepreneur who wanted to launch a music <laughs> service 10 years ago when all of the vcs you know were rejecting us because they thought how come you want to create a service to compete with apple back in the days and go do something else and I'm happy that you know I was able to prove them wrong but I'm much happier that I became a better person with my team and today I know that it's still you know we're we're on chapter 2 and there's still much more to be done. Wonderful. Well thank you and congratulations on both on on proving the VCs wrong and on that uh, that personal growth through the through the story. Thanks so much for for coming on and for sharing your story. It's an incredible story, an incredible journey and I know it's only going to continue um and that you'll you'll be going on to even bigger and better things thanks so much thank you very much thank you for having me that was getting to the point if you would like to get to the point big small can help visit bigsmall.works and redefine your business in 12 weeks